Hi, I'm Jimmy Palmiotti, author of uh, books like Harley Quinn and Jonah Hex, Marvel Knights, uh, God knows what else with paper films, everything. Anyway, listen, if you're going to geek out, you got to geek hard. Welcome to Gay Card, right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome to Geek Hard, where the days have been too many and the nights have been too long. There's a party in San Diego and we ain't at it again. I'm your host, Andrew Young, and with me, as always, is Mr. Green. Hey. Hey. We are. We got a great show coming your way. <laughs> what was that? I said we are not at it. We are not. We No, we're not we're at, at it. Thi- we're at this. We're at this, which is we're a party every week, but we're not at that. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we're proud of all of our friends who are there. Yes. They're doing, so we have some friends who are doing some really great stuff and having, having some fun announcements and everything like that. And we're proud Absolutely. of them. But we're going to have a great show tonight. Uh, later on the program, we will be talking to Charles Ardai, who is the editor and founder of Hard Case Crime and also does the Gun Honey series at uh, Titan Comics. And now, of course, the spinoff series from that, Heat Seeker. We're going to be talking to him about that. We've also got a review coming your way of Barbie that hit theaters today. And in just a moment, you're going to hear my interview with Jimmy Palmiotti. Now, there's a guy who is at San Diego. Yeah, oh yeah. And we're going to be talking about his, uh, his Kickstarter that's currently running for Trigger Girl 6 Justice, a new two-issue miniseries with the character trigger girl who he hasn't done a book involved like with in about 10 years. So very excited about that. You could hear me talk about that with him and more right now. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll be playing my interview with Jimmy Palmiotti right here. Geek card, radio radio. 101. everybody jimmy the short order cook here asking you what's better than listening to geek Hard? answer listen to geek Hard while wearing a geek Hard t-shirt and there's a place you can get them at tpublic.com slash user slash geek Hard. we got a bunch of great shirts there we got geek Hard shirts we got a mr green's tasty meat shirt hell we got a back issue bloodbath shirt for all your geek needs with your geek merch, you want to go to tpublic.com slash user slash geekart. I'm not just asking you. I'm telling you. Welcome back to Geek Art right here. On Reality Radio 101. And now, back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Card. Andrew Young and Mr. Green here on a Friday night. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to hear our, well, my interview with Jimmy Palmiotti, who's currently at San Diego Comic-Con. And if you're at Comic-Con this weekend, he will be signing at a couple of different spots on the floor tomorrow on Saturday uh, at the Z2 Comics booth from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. and at the Image Comics book 
booth from 3 to 4 p.m. So definitely, if you want to meet up with Jimmy, do that at those places. And hey, if you just see him roaming, he likes he likes people to say hey to him. So definitely say hey to him. He'll give you a uh, a uh, postcard for uh, his current Kickstarter, Trigger Girl 6 Justice, which you're going to hear the interview where we talk about it right now. Let's take a listen to that interview. Welcome back to the program, Jimmy Palmiotti. Jimmy, how you doing? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How about yourself, Andrew? Pretty good. Pretty good. You've just launched the Kickstarter campaign from Trigger Girl 6 Justice. It's your 22nd Kickstarter campaign. And, of course, you're taking a character that you haven't done anything with for about 10 years now. You did yeah. the, the creator-owned heroes, which then you then took the stories from that and released as a one-shot back in 2013. And now you come back to the character. What was the decision to return to Trigger Girl 6? You know, so I have these a lot of these characters that I've worked on and created and co-created with Justin and Phil Noda and all these guys. And, you know, there's only so much time in a day. And plus, you know, doing Kickstarters takes a lot of work. So I always wanted to do some more with the character, but the idea or the timing just didn't stick. I wasn't able to get Phil Noto and Phil's working for Marvel now and yada, yada, yada. So I did have an idea and I talked to Juan Santa Cruz, who is my guy. I use him on a lot of things like Painkiller Jane and we did the resistance together and uh, I talked to him and I asked him if he'd be up for, I think this, the book total is around 60 something pages because it's in two comics when you get back to Kickstarter. And he's like, yeah, I'm definitely interested in that. I had to have the story come to me. I it wasn't like, Hey, I need to come up with something for my next Kickstarter. It's actually the opposite with me because I have stuff that I'm working on all the time, especially because I've kind of turned my back a little bit on the big two it's a mutual thing because uh, COVID and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just in the end, it doesn't make sense. Like the, the financial, the way you, you work for them, it just doesn't make sense for a guy like me to work that hard to not benefit more. And we definitely made them a little money with uh, Harley over the years. And I, you know, so anyway, I started doing the Kickstarters. And with these books, it's like, if I have an idea for character, a new character, I do it. If I have an idea for an existing, like I've done, over the years, Painkiller Jane a couple of times. And the Trigger Girl one was something that I was like, I don't know if you noticed lately, and there's a lot of environmental news. They like to keep us busy with politics because it keeps our brain out of the depressing things that are going on, like the planet getting hotter. Obviously, we can't avoid that, avoid that right now because uh, I think when I go to Vegas at one point in the next two weeks and it's, and it's 117 there. And I don't, I don't even know what that is. Like, what is 717 like? I figure that's like when you take your chicken out of the oven and you, <laughs> it's like that. I live down in Florida and I'm watching people with boats and jet skis killing manatees and dolphins and whales are striking back now. And, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening with animals. It's because the whole world's out of balance. That's been like weighing on my mind. I read so much. It's probably not healthy for me. After a while, because you read so much that you can't do anything about, except donate here and there, which I do. I'm a huge lover of animals, cats, dogs, birds. I, I like them all, probably better than people, at least most people. The Trigger Girl book is about a character that in the original series we did with Phil Noto and Justin Gray was a character that pretty much the environment was was going to hell and animals were becoming extinct insanely quick in this period of time. And there was a scientist that was working with communication with animals and was able to make a breakthrough with them where they could actually communicate and learn that certain species are actually a lot smarter than we thought they were. Once they can communicate, they actually have skills. Anyway, the original story was about the animals creating, using DNA, animal DNA mixed with human DNA, creating a protector for them. And the name of the book is Trigger Girl 6 because there were five before her that didn't work out too well. She's the one that works out. And this story takes place. I do a catch-up in the um, in the Kickstarter. So anybody who's reading the book that never read the old ones, in two pages, I catch you right up. Okay? Right. And then uh, it's basically about her working for the animals, trying to protect the species, but also at the same time, because she was a test tube child, 
she has not developed a lot of her skills outside of being able to take people out and doing all these things. So it explores her relationship with the animals. It explores her relationship with other humans. We have a bad guy that's kind of trafficking near extinction type animals. And so there's a lot to unpack in the book, but it's it's an adult comic. So there's nudity, there's violence, there's everything, everything you want in the comics and beautiful artwork. And then uh, we put together the book. I've been working on it for like seven months. We finished the two books and then I went out to a couple of artists that I love to see if they could do covers. So I went, besides my wife, Adam, always, Amanda always does covers. Okay. Right. That, of course. That's, that's, that's a done, that's a deal right there. Like that's always going to happen. We know that. Yeah, if it didn't uh, happen, we'd be concerned. We would. <laughs> it's true. And, and her covers are usually the things that sell the most. Of course. Kind of, which is kind of great because we never show her covers in the Kickstarter. And this is no different because what she does is, and Amanda's kind of clever that way. She waits till all the art's in and everyone else is done with their covers. And then she decides, okay, I want to do nothing like these other guys. Yeah. And she does it. And same thing with this Kickstarter. She's like, she saw Adam Hughes' cover come in, which was amazing. Dave Johnson, Joe Lindsay did a couple. Ryan Slip did an amazing one. And she's like, okay, now I know what to do. You know, look at this cover. <laughs> And uh, it gives her the advantage, home court advantage. You know, Adam is the busiest man on earth, but he's still fit in time for this. And uh, I love him. God bless him. Yeah. And my usual buddies, uh, Joe Linsner and Dave Johnson. And I worked with Ryan Sook on Hawkman for a year. And uh, so we had that connection. Yeah. And I, so I got beautiful covers. And then Juan Santa Cruz, Judy Inside, it's beautiful. And it's also the first book I've ever colored. So I, I colored both books. Yeah, that's the thing that really stuck out to me is that, you know, yeah. of course, like back in the day, you know, you had a career as an inker, but yeah. you've been primarily writing for the past 20 plus years. Yeah. That's when you job. What was the desire to decide, hey, I'm going to color this one? Right before COVID, DC Comics ghosted me. Like I literally got no work, no nothing. The end of the deal left nothing. Nobody offered me anything. And, and I've worked there 30 years. So it caught me off guard, right? That they can just decide that, okay, you're no longer somebody we give a crap about. And that's on them. Cause I always say it's always their loss. Cause I'm like, of course I look at a lot of the new books and I'm like going, yeah, it wouldn't hurt to have some experienced writers here. So I looked at that as an opportunity to kind of try another skill in it. And I bought an iPad and I decided using procreate program, which is made for idiots like me. And I watched uh, during, during COVID, I watched like a hundred videos on how to do it. And I was already an editor on books, you know, so any colorist will tell you I'm a bit of a color editor. So I said, all right, let me put my money where my mouth is and let me do it. And then I would send my pages to guys like Paul Mounts or uh, Alex Sinclair. And I'd say, what am I doing wrong? What's going on? And they were very generous with their time. And then I started picking it up and I started coloring all of Amanda's covers in the past year. So that if you look close, it's a little Palmiati right under her name. So I've been coloring those. I actually have a page rate at Marvel NDC for coloring. Pop Kill was the first interiors I've colored. And that was, you know, over 60 pages. And you learn real quick, like, oh, my God, like, this is uh, so much damn work. <laughs> and, and the colorists would tell me, well, there's shortcuts. You know, you can start with a color and then pull stuff out. And I'm like, I started learning some shortcuts. But it, honestly, colorists can color a book in like a, a week, you know, 20-something pages. I could do two a day. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's it. And and I'm a picky bastard. I kind of look at the details and I'm time of day. Oh, my God, there's long shadows because the sun is low, so the shadows are long. You know, I'm doing all this stuff. And that was the compliments I got from other colorists was, you know, you're looking at things like a photographer and, or, or and a real artist. You're looking at the way light works and everything. And I said, yeah, I said, kind of exploring textures and stuff. But look, it's like if I'm, I'm going to be 62 next month. Right. Mm. And there's a point where you're like, you got to say either I'm going to stop learning and just sit what I got or I'm going to keep learning. So I feel like the keep learning part is what's going to keep me young for a while. Yeah, I would think so. Learning something new all the time keeps everything fresh. And uh, the downside of that is, of course, there's always the, the quest for knowledge. And because of that, you are very up to date on the terrible things that are happening to our planet. You're very much uh, a thinker of science. You're always thinking about how the science influences the world and it, yeah. and it influences your choices as well. And I know that you feel bad for the younger generation. And I do. I worry about, about I worry about, you know, my, my friend's kids. They're all like 18 and 20 now, right? You know, they must watch the news and think, what is going on? I mean, I don't watch politics that much anymore. I try not to. 
they get in the way of my news stories a lot. But you'll notice environmental stuff is always the last news story of the night. You know, it's always about politics and this politician, that politician. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows I'm very clear my position about politics, especially the person that is the governor of Florida. I'm just not a... Mm. This guy is all about anti-education. He's like about not wanting people to be smart because it's very important for them not to have intelligent people out there. And if you notice, a lot of politics is aimed at keeping people in the dark or making them second guess everything, right? Because by doing that, there's no confirmed anything. So you make up stories. So I feel bad for the 20-year-olds. I mean, they need to vote. You know, don't get me wrong. They got to get out there and vote. They literally can change this country in the next 10 years insanely. Like they have so much power, but a lot of them just get like, yeah, I'm not going to bother, you know. Yeah, and I they say they're falling that, for the trap that yes. those older politicians want them to fall for. Totally. They do not want the youth vote. They do not want them to vote. And they do everything they can to make it hard for them. Scare them about it. So a lot of this stuff influences my writing. And, you know, some people agree with me. Some people don't. I'm never rude to the people that don't. I'm always just like, I state my case and I'm like, well, that's what you believe. You know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to change your mind. I grew up with Trump in New York. I couldn't change anybody's mind sounding the warning bells, you know? And I was like, this guy's been a terrible person to New Yorkers for a long time. And of course, when he ran, of course, New York voted blue all the way. But it was just, it wasn't out of politics. It was out of, they know this man, you know? Yeah, they're like, this guy's a piece of shit. I don't want him to be president. Yeah. So a lot of times, so with the writing, it, it kind of goes in there once in a while, but I don't stand on a hill and yell and scream about it. Look, everybody has politics in their writing on some level. The Trigger Girl was a book about the way we're treating the environment and the animal and the price that animals are paying. We see it every day. We see people, they just like, I have to have a bigger car. I got to get on my jet ski and, you know, they should watch out for me. And don't get me wrong. These are the things that the news reports are. Now, the the reality is there's just as many, if not 50 times more people that love animals and take care and give to charities. But that doesn't make the news, right? That's not the news. If there was a good news network, it would probably be on it every day. We're probably commercials. We're going to cut the puppies for now. And we'll come back. We'll be right back. You know, a good news network would be something we really need. Yeah. Um, you know, here's 10 minutes of kittens. We'll be right back. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, my God. But the, the thing is, you know, of course, with Trigger Girl, going back to the, the first story, you did a great job of touching on those subjects of the environment and also giving a story about someone trying to find their identity and all within the span of just four short installments that then became a one shot. This yeah. time you're you're coming back with a two issue story, which again is packing in a, a lot of information, but of course is wrapped in that lovely entertainment, sex and violence vibe that comic fans love so much. Is it important to you to keep a story concise and keep it short? Because like that's what I feel. Sometimes people drag stories out, and but you go, but you look back at some of the greatest comic stories from like the '70s and '80s that hold up to this day. They're like two issues. Yeah, I'm very conscious of what things cost. Because I'm not a rich person, okay? And so when I buy a comic and I can read it in two minutes, I get angry, to be honest with you. I want to sit with it for a while. Some Somebody commented to me, you know, you, I, I would read your comics, but there's too much to read. And I always laugh at that. I'm like saying, yeah, this roller coaster is just too much fun. You know, I have to get <laughs> off this thing. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, you're paying to have an experience and, and story. For this one with Trigger Girl, there's a couple of things going on at once, but I, I kind of hit on everything that I think, you know, it's it's funny when you work for yourself, you write something, and then when the artist starts it, you go back and you start reading it and you go, oh, you know, I need to add two more pages to this because it feels like there's a gap there. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like a jump. And comic readers, yourself included, know when they read something, they go, ah, it ended too quick, or what happened to that guy? And we we consciously or unconsciously do it with movies. Like, that's it? At the end, we go, that's it? Or, oh, my God, part two. So we have this naturally, we have this uh, satisfaction level with our entertainment that is, like, subliminal. Like, we just don't think about it consciously, but we read it and we go, oh, that was good or that was cool or that was terrible or this movie was not for me, man, you know? Mm. And a lot of it has to do with the pacing and information being presented. My artists will tell you, they think they finish a book and then I'll call them and say, you know what? Can we get two more pages? I just want this character to have a quiet moment here. And I constantly do that because I didn't have that with the company work I did, Marvel and DC. Obviously, you write it and it goes in and that's it. So with these books, I'm like, well, I don't have any deadline. I create my deadlines. Like I don't do the Kickstarter till the book's done. Mm-hmm. So I don't do the Kickstarter while the Kickstarter is going. Because my attitude is 
Hopefully I can hit the number. If I don't hit the number, then I'll, I'll figure out another way to sell it. But, you know, I pay all my guys. Everybody gets paid. Right. Um, but I don't settle on the book until the Kickstarter is done. Then we look at it again. And I have my wife read it. And I have other people read it. And I'm like, is there anything missing? Do you wish you saw something here? Is there any unsettled? Do you feel unsettled? Or is it not funny? Or is it not sexy? Or is it not? And I take the opinions and I put them in a nice big hat and see which ones cross with each other. You know, three people are saying the same thing. Then that means there's something going on there that I didn't catch. Right. Right. And it's all with people I trust. Right. So these opinions that the people I trust and then I can make the book better. And, and I think that's like a cool thing. And, and, uh, so I think I, it's like that attention to detail is probably like, to me, I think overall, that's probably why all of your Kickstarters have been successful. It's because you, you're someone that loves comics. Like you love what you do, but on top of that, you love comics as a whole. Cause there's creators out there that love telling stories, but not, you know, if somebody told, Hey, we want to go write movies for this much, they'd willingly go. Whereas yeah. you, you're somebody that isn't somebody that just loves what they do. You love the world it lives in. And I have a, a, a collection of comic art. I just got some uh, books back from CGC. I, I like, I walk the talk, man. I got, yeah. Yeah. This, this is like, a, it's in terrible condition. It's been retouched and all that stuff. It still came back a 4.5, but it's, it's Superman number five. Oh my know? gosh. And it has a blurry double image on the cover, but I don't care. Because it's like it's 1940. Yeah, came out, you know. So like, you know, so I collect comics and and I love comic art. I mean, I, you know, if you had a show where you needed a guy to wax poetic about any artist in the industry, I could do it because I adore comic art and I also love the artists that do it. The guys that work with me, they kind of know that. I never tell my guys what to draw on the cover. I told Adam, I said, "Here's the character. Go crazy. Here's the book. Whatever you give me is going to be great." And that's why I get some great work. I mean, that Adam cover is beautiful. Yeah. Joe Lindsay's two covers are amazing. Like Joe, he's so underrated, that guy. He's like one of those people. I love working with him. Um, you know, we did a bunch of books called Claws for Marvel yeah. years ago. He's got that same kind of sense of humor as I do. And when we did Claws for Marvel, everyone was like, oh, I thought it was going to be more serious. And I'm like, it's called Claws and it's goofy, but it's fun. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that love spills into the books. And I, look, I get the guys chasing the movie stuff and the TVs. I get it. But they have a secondary thing in their head, right? They want to be popular or they want attention. I love movies. Don't get me wrong. I love movies. And mm. given a chance, I would direct a movie. Sure, that's something I wrote. That'd be the greatest thing. That'd be so much fun. But I am not the son or daughter or niece or nephew of anyone famous in Los Angeles. And nobody's going to hire me to write. I mean, I've done some stuff. I've worked on some TV shows and stuff like that. Yeah. But it is better to be related to somebody out there because you definitely get more of work. Of course. No, totally. <laughs> totally. comics, Amanda and I, I mean, we're in a house where we make comics here, you know? Yeah. So we, we love them. And we love the people that love them. The comic book audience is a group of the most caring and sweet and intelligent people I've ever met. They're nice. They treat their moms great. They take great care of the things they own. And yeah. I know that sounds funny, but... You'd be surprised how people just don't take care of things. And comic people tend to take care of everything. They treat everything like it's special. And it's a, it's a really nice thing to have in the world, in the world where everything's disposable. And, you know, there's greed and all this kind of stuff going on. Comic people slow down a little bit. They appreciate a pizza and friends and beer hanging out in a bar, laughing and telling stories more than any trip, more than anything else. I find comic people live in the moment. They're very much about excited about things. And with the Kickstarter, I try to make it so when I launch, it's exciting. I have exciting stuff in it. But I'm selling it to a bunch of people like me that right. love comics. And, you know, you said I'm detail-oriented. Uh, I Not only the stories. I pick out the paper stock, the cover stock, spot varnish. I drive my printers crazy, but they love me because I keep giving them work. But I'm like, that black is not black enough. That yeah. spot varnish, I'm not crazy about the way it hits the spine. See, I don't want and to that, that reminds me, it reminds me because you've kind of always been like that. Because I remember back hearing about when you guys were doing Marvel Knights. Yeah. That like you guys went out of your way to make sure that the paper stock was the best stock on the racks, yes. even back yes. then. And, you know, here's my thing I have to do it better than the big two. 
My books got to look better. They got to read better. They should be more fun because the big two, they're, they're corporations hiring creatives, right? Yeah. And honestly, at the end of the day, they don't really give a crap. They make some money from it. It's about licensing and that's their main goal is licensing and films and TV. And I get it. If you look at a uh, Marvel or DC book, Mar- Marvel, let's go for Marvel today. Their cover stock is the same as the interior stock. So the books feel flimsy. I had one right here. Okay. So this is, uh, Captain Marvel. 50. I'm sorry it's blurry, but but the cover stock is the same as the interior stock. So it's not really protecting the book. It's just paper on top of the story. And there is technically a cover, a nice Amanda Connor cover where I colored it. And it's uh, five bucks. And I'm like, okay, I understand. They sell hundreds of thousands of these things. So, But there's something very disposable about it. I don't know how it is. And then let me grab one of my books. Uh, One without a pair of breasts on the cover. Okay. Um, now, granted, mine are more, but my print runs are <laughs> a hell of a lot yeah, less. They're much smaller. Um, so this is Last Painkiller Jane, where I spot varnish it. The characters are spot varnished. The cover stock is very thick. And then the paper stock, my rule for paper stock is I should never be able to see the page behind me, right? right. Blacks have to be 100% black, and it has to be able to be read easily. So it's not stiff. You ever get these comics that, like, it's like turning cardboard. Like this one, we only printed, I think, three or 400 of them, you know, because it's whatever's ordered on the Kickstarter. Right. So the new Kickstarter, like we have the Adam Hughes covers and the Amanda covers, we only print what's ordered. So yeah. it's not like there's 10,000 of these things. You literally can read the number of copies that we sell in the Kickstarter. And that's why the last one we did with Adam Hughes, with the girl, you know, the topless girl, we did a separate edition with her topless, but she had like a see-through shirt on for yeah. Pop Kill. Pop Kill, yeah. And... um you know, those books are like a 1000 to 1400 each, wow. you know. So I always say the people that are collectors, I do the three or four things. I want a great story, beautiful covers, collectability on some level. Yeah. So people are going to pay a little more for it. And then there's signatures and there's prints. And then we have stretch goals with there's sticker sheets and prints yeah. and digital books and stuff like that. I really enjoy doing it because I make so many people happy. And every Kickstarter, I gain a few more people because the people who back that go, oh, okay, this guy delivered it on time. I got everything. And he's only going to shake me down for a lot of money three or four times a year. Jimmy, it's been great talking with you. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. And as I said, when people first hear this, You'll be at San Diego Comic Con, so I hope you have a great Comic Con. I'll be geeking hard. That's I right. You'll be, be geeking hard at San Diego Comic Con. That's right, and hopefully tons online. of people will geek hard with you and come up yeah. to you and say hey. So we 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 love meeting the people, so come out and say hi. But uh, I will be geeking hard in your memory there. Andrew. All right. Well, thank okay. you, thank you. Think of me when you are geeking hard. I will. It brings a tear to my eye thinking about him geeking hard for me on the floors of San Diego Comic Con right now. Good on you, Jimmy. Definitely. Uh, Thank you so much, Jimmy, for coming on the program. Of course, people, if you want to get your hands on Trigger Girl 6 Justice, support the Kickstarter. Campaign runs till August 11, 2023. Go to paperfilms.com to find the link to the campaign and all the info on that. It's a, as he talked about it, he likes to make comics fun and they're fun stories. It's adult comics. Don't give them to the kids, but. It's like it's it's like reading a fun action film in your hands. Yeah, no, for sure. And as always, uh, as we both have learned over the years, anytime you get to talk to Jimmy at a con at his table, it is it's an experience. Definitely. Where where he's not tabling at this. But as I said, he's signing at the Z2 Comics booth from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. on Saturday and 3 to 4 p.m. on Saturday at the Image Comics booth. So definitely go check him out there. Uh, we got an email in from Justin L who says, Hey geeks, is this guy related to Jimmy, the short order cook? Well, I guess we'll, uh, we'll bring him in and ask him. Hey, Hey Jimmy. Yeah. What? Oh, hey to you too, Jim. What, what is it? What do you want? What do you want? Uh, are you related to Jimmy Palmiotti? Jimmy Palmiotti. He's from Brooklyn. I'm from Yonkers. So there might be a 10% possibility. We're like, but there's like a whole bunch of New York in between us there. So I'm going to say that. Aren't you guys like right beside each other? Like, isn't you go read a fucking map Magellan. My God. Anyways, I'm in Brooklyn side by side. Like they're just like, you just, you can look at each other. Did you fucking fail at school? Is that it? 
You're so angry. Because you're fucking failing at life right now, motherfucker. You're so angry. Well, anyways, no, me and Jimmy ain't related. But uh, say hey to Justin. Justin, my boy. You keep emailing in. And there he goes. So uh, let's read the rest of Justin's email. So Jimmy so politely answered that. Uh, Barbie, forget about it. It sucked. No rating about this flop. Ryan Gosling, what the fuck? Are directors still hiring that dude? So that is a uh, a peek into uh, one person's opinion on Barbie. We're going to take a commercial break right now. In the meantime, email us, geekartshow at gmail.com, with your review of Barbie. We'll read it live on the air, and we'll talk about Barbie ourselves right here. We come back on Geek Art on Reality Radio 101. Dreamed of falling in love with a girl like you. Remember when you used to go to the comic shop and browse through the stacks, picking up comic after comic, talking to your fellow customers and the store owner about what books you should buy? What kind of outside people daywalker nonsense are you talking about? I don't go outside. Well, thank goodness for Back Issue Bloodbath with Andrew Young and Petula Neal. When we talk about comics old and new, Mostly old. But sometimes new. Every Wednesday, new episodes drop at geekartshow.com or wherever you catch your pots. Check it out and have yourself a good. Welcome back to Geek Card, right here on Reality Radio 101. And now, right back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Card, Andrew Young and Mr. Green here. And now's the time you've been waiting for. It is time for our review of Barbie opening in theaters today. And uh, if you want to get in your review or just say, hey, or maybe you have a question for Charles Ardai later on in the program, you can email us at geekartshow at gmail.com and we'll read your email on the air unless it's too, too, you know, you know, you know. So let's get into it. Barbie, directed by Greta Gerwig, written by Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, based on the toy line from Mattel. Produced by Mattel Films, Heyday Films, Lucky Chap Entertainment, and distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. Here to read the synopsis is uh, a man who remembers when the first Barbie was sold. The old man. Hey, how's it going? That's going pretty good. You? I'm all right. I'm all right. That uh, Jimmy was getting pretty uh, pretty angry tonight, eh? He 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 gets salty pretty quickly. I haven't I haven't seen him that angry since. Me and him went to the G1 Climax in Japan, the tournament there. Uh, a buddy of his, Eddie, was in it, you know, so. That it's, makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so the, the Barbie, eh? Yep. All righty. I remember the Barbie. Barbie's still around. Eh? They're good for the Barbie, you know? Oh, yeah. Not going anywhere. Yeah, she got a lot of jobs. I was always like, wow. I thought I worked a lot. Yeah. Hardest working toy in show business, apparently. So Barbie and Ken are having the time of their lives in the colorful and seemingly perfect world of Barbie land. However, when they get a chance to go to the real world, they soon discover the joys and perils of living among humans. Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Isn't this a toy? Yes. Wow, this is like some deep stuff. For a toy. Eh. Sure. I don't know. Questioning one's own existence. You know, that's not usually something covered in like Lincoln Logs and Tiddlywinks. I don't know about Tiddlywinks. I think Lincoln Logs, you do question your, your reality and your place in the universe. I think that's just inherent. No, the only question you have is like, how many do I need to make a cabin? Because that's all you can make with Lincoln Logs. A cabin. Anyways, I'm going to go make a cabin. I'll be back. There he goes. 
Oh, so yeah, so Barbie, it's in theaters. You saw it, Mr. Green. I saw it. What you think? Um, well, I gotta say, um, it was an experience. And I, I, okay. I have to I have to talk a bit about this because I foolishly went to the movies last night not thinking about an experience. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I avoided last night because when I went to buy a ticket in Toronto, which is usually not as crazy as out in the uh out in the burbs for late night screenings it was sold out i yeah, was like so, i'm gonna wait till tomorrow yeah no i i i was i was driving home and it was like 7 30 or something like that and i was like oh i better i was thinking oh maybe i won't go home i'll just go straight to the movie right mm. take a look uh there was five showings there was like a grand total of 15 seats remaining yeah. This is the first time that a movie has been sold out like this since Endgame. I have not seen anything over the last few years. Time, spot. anticipation, uh, freaking uh, audience, and the the four quadrant. Yeah. So take I, on this. Yeah. I roll into the theater, and as I'm walking in, it's a sea of pink. It yeah. is pink everywhere, everywhere, everybody. There and it's ages from seven to seventy, like women just galore, which I totally understood. Yeah. But what kind of caught, slightly caught me off guard was the number of uh, dudes that showed up in you know in pink and Barbie shirts and all this. Kind of, I was like, oh okay, yeah. you know, I didn't didn't know right. So fair enough, go in cultural phenomena. Yeah, roll in. It I I, I it was uh, ten minutes before the show theater there's like me and four other people that's it two down a little bit front near the front two in the back row where i had to, i found the only seat that was remaining sitting there nobody's in the theater except for us until the show starts at 9 10 yeah because they were all out in the uh like in the and hallways taking pictures and having fun. honestly dude i swear to god i thought it was choreographed they came in like in groups of 10 and took up an entire row yeah, and they just came in an entire row, in entire row, in an entire row. I was like, "What is going on here?" One of the groups came in. It was like ten people, nine dudes, one girl, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, this is an interesting group." And I and I was starting to get a little concerned because they were talking quite a bit, you know. And it's always a thing I have in theaters. Anyways, I quickly learned why the nine dudes were there. It wasn't for Barbie. Well, it was for Barbie, but it wasn't for the product Barbie. They were there for Margot Robbie because they made a, made sure everybody in the theater was aware that they were there for Margot Robbie. All right. So the opening of the movie, this is this was like when it really kicked off. So you know how the movie opens, obviously. It's a yes. nice homage to uh, 2001, which yeah. I I thought was really cleverly done. I really liked it. Uh, and as soon as the uh, the Barbie shows up. These nine guys exploded like this throughout the theater it was craziness wow. oh yeah oh yeah no it was it was nuts and then the whole movie the rest of the movie there was like it was just like clapping and excitement it was like i haven't been to a movie experience like this like going to a theater like probably since maybe uh one of the last couple harry potter films where everybody was like in the wizard robes and they're all freaking out um it was i i wasn't expecting it mm. So as I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is throwing me off. I'm like, this is this is a weird experience. And I'm watching the movie. And then the movie is its own weird experience because it's in this like, you know, um, magical reality that exists. Yeah, well, it's it's a what's called it is uh, it's it's a satirical film. And at yes. first, I thought the satire the the satire was going to be limited to just Barbie Land. Mm -hmm. But then when we came out into the real world, I realized like, oh, this entire film is a satire. It's not just surrealist meets the real world. It's like, no, we're going to look at the absurdism of everything, of our society, of the patriarchy, of uh, consumerism, all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's yeah. the film I thought it was, but it's just, it's covering a bigger net than I thought it was yeah. going to cover. Yeah, like I one of the things that caught me, uh, like I, there was a few things because of Greta Gerwig and, and you know, and obviously the subject matter. I was expecting some commentary, you know, as they, they were about feminism, the patriarchy, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I was expecting that stuff. 
the thing that kind of caught me was how much they shot digs at Mattel themselves. Like, yeah, no, that's the thing that shocked me the most because Mattel, of course, is the main producer on this. Yeah. And yeah, they take the digs. They take the digs yeah. and they actually, they kind of are upfront about the, yeah, we just, we want your money. I, it, you know what? It made me think of a celebrity roast. That's what it kind of, I kind of, mm. that's how it felt in this film, like for certain sections of it. And of course, having Will Ferrell be your business daddy, um, just it's, it makes perfect sense. Right. You know, it's just on so many levels. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Um, but he's not like a major, like a, like a super major. He's a part of it and he's a big part, but, no, he's, not he's, a major. but he's, yeah, he's not a major, like his character the, name, or his character name is Mattel CEO. He doesn't yeah. have an actual name name. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, uh, and cause he, I thought that he was going to be one of the main antagonists. Little did I know I was completely wrong on that front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the main, main antagonist, you know. And then, of course, there's, like, those other ones that we, you know, we kind of expected, like, the, you know, self-realization and all that kind of stuff that was going to come along with it. The, one of the other things about this film that uh, I got to really comment on, because it is something that you and I and, and a lot of people have been talking, especially with the strike going on and everything like that with, uh, you know, AI and all this stuff. This film's complete lack of CGI. Yeah. Everything, uh, to my, the best of my knowledge as it stands right now, at least is what they've promoted, is everything in this film was a practical effect. So mm. even like the, the, where the, the toaster pops out the waffle and the butter onto yeah. her plate, like that was practically done. The jumping off the house, practically done. You know, like it was uh, physical sets in Barbie Land were built. Yeah, you know, I could definitely, I could tell that they actually built the the big plastic world, like it, because yeah. it seemed it didn't have the hollowness that when you put somebody in front of a green screen has. Yeah, the other thing I will say, just a fascinating note that I learned today that I think is hilarious is that uh, the pink that they use in this film for Barbie is uh, is uh, uh, common Pantone color two nineteen C. There was a worldwide shortage during filming of this production as oh they God. used all of the color. Jeez, it's Mike, it's insane crazy but um as the film goes on uh like all of the barbies all of the kens um honestly even michael Sarah as alan um again something i didn't know about until today that there wasn't alan yeah that's the whole like i like the certain things that i i remember hearing about midge but of course never saw a midge out in the wild um but yeah because uh, yeah. that's uh, before you were born i believe uh the yeah. first midge well yeah. even the second midge the the pregnant yeah. midge that they talk yeah. about yeah yeah so there's like there's like i knew about um uh skipper and oh, yeah, some, yeah. I knew about some of the other ones well, yeah. yeah but there's some of these like some of these barbies i was like ah i don't even remember that from the 80s when i was growing up right you know so these are like predate me um but yeah it was like there was a i thought there was a lot of cool things going on and um I thought at times when I was, especially early on, I was like, oh, this is very saccharine and very, you know, plasticky, like, and I, I just the way that they're presenting it. And then it was like, oh, okay. And then there's that literal record scratch moment at the dance that kind of like, you know, when she says her first uh, thought off yeah, script. Well, that, as it well that, that's been in the trailers, the whole, if you guys ever think about dying. Yeah. Yeah, so like when you get to that, and it's like it's it's like a retro, record scratch in the movie, but it, there's literally a record scratch when that happens. Which and then it's like, and then the movie just totally shifts from that point, and yeah. it goes it goes from being what I you know initially thought might be a toy commercial, you know, um, a glorified version of that, you know, with some maybe some layers or something, you know, like like a Pixar or something, right? Mm -hmm. And then into what it turns into, and uh, I I had a pretty half decent uh, fun ride with that. Yeah, no, I was I was pretty sure that it was going to be taking this more surrealistic, satirical look at things. That it wasn't going to be just a a toy commercial gussied up. Um, it I was I was actually surprised at how much of it it was, and I was pretty satisfied with it too. I think they did a good job of also pointing out that um, yeah, the patriarchy isn't good, but if you went all the way the other way, that isn't good either. Which uh, I thought, oh, that was that was shocking well done. concept. Yeah. That going <laughs> amazing to, going to extremes is never good, no matter which extreme it is. Yeah, yeah. But then for me, it was just the idea and everything. And most of the characters, it was about agency. It was about everybody trying yeah. to find their own personal agency and their personal purpose. 
And because of that, it's actually, it's got a very good message. And I think a lot of people, a lot, I know a lot of women are going to feel seen by a portion in the middle mm-hmm. of the film. But uh, I think anybody who has ever felt like they don't know themselves will get something out of this film as well. No, oh, absolutely. And I just, and just la- one last thing for me is uh, it's all about horses. Yeah. I thought it was about horses and then I thought it was about, you know, the patriarch, but then I thought about horses again, you know, so yeah. anyways, you know, it's always about horses. Mr. Green, you're Knuff. You are, you're Knuff. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Uh, so what you're saying, uh, I'm guessing, are you saying see it in theaters? Uh, yeah. Okay. Obviously it's going to be polarizing much like Oppenheimer is polarizing in its own sense. If you have any interest and think you want to go check this out, go check this out. It is a lot of fun. There's some, there is some deeper levels to it and that's great. If you're not into it, just skip it and go somewhere else. Yeah, that's pretty much it. If this is, if you, if you were anticipating this film and really wanting to see this film, if you haven't already seen it, go see it. I think you'll have a great time. Uh, we're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Charles Ardai about Heat Seeker right here. Geek Card, Radio Radio 101. I can't help but feel good. I can't help but feel fine. Everything is in its place and everything is mine. Want to advertise on Geekard and be heard by thousands of listeners? It's easy. It's simple. It's fun. Email us at geekardshow at gmail.com for information on our advertising packages today. Welcome back to Geekard right here. On Reality Radio 101. And now, back to your geeks, Andrew Young and Mr. Green. Welcome back to Geek Card. It's time we get into the final guest of the evening. He is the founder and editor of Hard Case Crime. Uh, he is also an, an award-winning author. And he is the creator of the Titan comic series, Gun Honey. And its new spinoff series, Heat Seeker. Welcome to the program, Charles Ardai. Hello, how are you guys? Very good, sir. How are you doing? Great. It's terrific to be here. It's a heat wave in New York City, but this time of night, it's a little bit... Despite being the author of Heat Seeker, I'm not actually a heat seeker. I'm glad yeah. we're... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll try to we'll try to keep this short and sweet so you don't melt during the, <laughs> uh, the interview. Oh my god! But yeah, uh, Heat Seeker, of course, is a spinoff from the Gun Honey series, which uh, of course put out by Titan Comics. And you are, of course, the founder of Hard Case Crime, and now taking Hard Case Crime from not just the novels now into the comics world uh, over the past couple of years, of course, with your your much highly regarded Gun Honey series. Taking that, you know, that good hard-boiled <laughs> noir type comic stories. Again, we were talking to Jimmy Palmiotti earlier, oh, yeah. so we're all about adult comics here tonight. Um, well, this is about as adult as it gets. You know, I, I we have a lot of fun doing stories that are not meant for kids. And the novels were always that. I mean, when you look at a movie like Ocean's Eleven, that's not for kids, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the Bourne Supremacy or whatever. James Bond's not for kids. When I was a teenager, I would go to the Bond movies. This was Roger Moore era. And the opening credits were always half-naked women in silhouette dancing behind a gun. And in some ways, Gun Honey is my tribute to that. You know, I thought that was sexy and fun and, and sophisticated and interesting. And they don't do that anymore. Now, I like the Daniel Craig movies, too. But something about that wonderful combination of sex appeal and, and uh, thriller action storytelling really appealed to me. And I didn't feel anyone was doing it. So I wanted to do uh, that in Gun Honey. And I was thrilled that people liked it, you know, because yeah. I was prepared to just do four issues and that was it. And we'd be done and nobody would ask for more. But people liked it enough that we did a second one. And then the guys at Titan Comics, who, by the way, are terrific. They're really just just sharp and nice and great to work with. And they said, you know, it takes you about a year to produce a Gun Honey comic. You can write it faster. But the guy who draws it, who's this incredible Malaysian artist named Angkor Kang, he does it by hand. This is not digital. This is pen and ink, like, you know, old Frazetta things. And he's fantastic, but it takes him 13 months to draw for issue series. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, 
get get Ong started on the next gun, honey. What else could you do? Can you introduce a second character that could be drawn by a different artist in the same universe? Like John Wick has John Wick, and now there are the spinoff movies about the other characters. And I said, absolutely, that's great. And that's where Heat Seeker came from. So Heat Seeker is a way to continue the story in the same universe, but with a different art team. That's not actually fair. Um, pencils and inks are different, but colors are still uh, Asafar Raman. And so there's a kind of continuity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, the the trend here, of course, with of course Joanna Tan from Gun Honey, and now we have Dolly Racers from Heat Seeker, is that you've taken the femme fatale and now made them kind of the more the badass antihero that right. was usually a male star, but now it is this strong, uh, mysterious woman who uh, I gotta say don't know much about Dahlia yet. But the fact that she is basically an illusionist and can make anybody disappear, so to speak, with uh, many different talents and basically make people turn up dead so that they can get away from stuff, that to me is like, that's an amazing jumping off point. Oh, that's great. I'm really glad to hear that. So I've been in love with magic all my life. Not like the Harry Potter kind of magic. That's fun, too. But performing magic. I, when I was a teenager, I would go up on stage and pretend to be a magician, and I was terrible at it, but I would I loved it. And so when I was coming up with a spinoff character, I was trying to think, what would be interesting? And since I ended the second Gun Honey story called Gun Honey Blood for Blood with Joanna and her male partner on the run from intelligence agents who wanted them dead, I thought, well, they need some help. And this character is going to be someone who can help them. Uh, help them disappear. That was the idea. And then I thought, well, maybe this is my excuse finally to create a character who's also a magician. Now, she's not actually a magician herself. She doesn't go on stage and perform magic. She's the one who, she's an engineer. She comes up with the magic tricks and she sells them to David Copperfield or Penn and Teller. She's the one who comes up with the way to do the trick. And then some other performer performs it. And uh, I thought that was just fun. It was just a fun thing to do. And uh, this gave me an excuse to take the characters to Las Vegas because nowhere is more associated with magic, right, than than Vegas. So she lives in New York, flies to Vegas, and uh, in the next coming issues, you'll they'll end up in uh, Mexico because from Vegas to Mexico is a pretty short hop. And so we have a little bit of that international intrigue thing going. And uh, yeah, I so not everyone's a fan of magic, but I thought that's that could be sexy and fun. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me of. Uh... Um, like the seventies and early eighties kind of, um, you know, like those, uh, the, um, I, I can't even think of the right word now, but like those, uh, those mystery shows that they would put on where they would have like a amateur detective that had another skill that they could translate into, you know, solving exactly. a mystery. And I was like, that's, it's a real, like you said, it's a really cool idea using the, you know, the, the magic element of that, you know, uh, the performance and how you can, you know, change people and, 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 and do this. I just like that's a really and as you mentioned, like the engineer behind those tricks, not something that a lot of people are aware of, that that actually is like a gig for some people. In right. The that there's someone who does that. Yeah. So that, that was sort of the fun thing with Joanna Tan, too. So Gun Honey, there are a lot of assassins in pulp stories, uh, but Joanna's not the assassin. Joanna's the person who supplies the gun to the assassin. So I thought that's yeah. just interesting because nobody's done that before. It's something different. And so similarly, uh, Dolly is not the magician. She's the one who supplies the uh trick to the magician so somehow i've created this this set of women who are incredibly good at what they do but what they do is kind of behind the scenes and i don't know that that's more interesting but it's sort of interesting to me uh so if there's another spin-off i'll have to think of some other twist on behind the scenes yeah yeah exactly but there's a little uh, bit of charlie's angels to it you know where they would go yeah. under undercover and infiltrate places and uh, somebody was asking me how would i describe this comic and i was trying to think of something similar to tell them about and I said, it's like Barbarella, only instead of in outer space, it's crime, you know, because Barbarella started as a comic before it was the Jane Fonda movie. And she barely could keep her clothes on. And she had all these wonderful adventures. And uh, and I thought, well, why can't you do that in crime? You know, why why not? And so oh, that's totally. that's part of what what's going on here. So that's hopefully. kind of the thing that I love about yeah. like hard boiled stories and noir is that a lot of people think automatically like i've read a lot of noir i've read a lot of hard-boiled stories people automatically think in their head like oh it's always about a detective or like a guy who's in the mob or something like that but it's like french coat fedora but you can basically take any character from any type of story and stick them in the middle of a hard-boiled story and just watch their life unravel or watch how they keep everything you know on a dime and it's like the idea with noir is that it's not really the characters. It's the idea of people living outside of society, living in their own kind of world. 
Right, exactly. Uh, so it's it's somebody who makes a mistake and then has to deal with the consequence of that mistake. And you watch them get either crushed under the heel of a of 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 a merciless fate or somehow escape it. And that's exciting. Either way, yeah. either it's a tragedy or it's an adventure, but it's it's exciting. And uh, you know. You don't have to go all the way to the deep darkness. So there was a writer named Cornell Woolrich who was famous. He wrote the uh, short story that became the movie Rear Window. And he had himself a truly horrible life. And uh, he wrote about people who had truly horrible lives. And so if you ever read Woolrich, and he was a wonderful writer. If you ever read Woolrich, you'll read the darkest, bleakest, most depressing stuff you've ever read. And that is kind of noir at its most concentrated. But there's the other end of noir, too. You know, the hardboiled detective stories sometimes have a, a wisecracking hero. And, you know, Philip Marlowe is not going to commit suicide. He deals with some pretty sordid characters. But you know that he's going to come back in the next story. So there's a range, you know. And so for the comics, Joanna is a little darker. She's a little bit more Christian Bale. And uh, Dahlia is a little lighter. She's a little bit more Tom Cruise, you know, and uh, they're also ex-girlfriends, which just makes it that much better. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, I, so basically what you're telling me is that Dahlia is going to pull off a lot of stunts in this series. Yes. <laughs> so when you get to say there's one. So I, I uh, we're working, I'm working with a, a an artist named Ace Continuato, who's terrific. And uh, he read the first script and he said, I'm in. This is great. It reminds me of Mission Impossible. I said, that's it exactly. So each issue, I want there to be something like a set piece. And in the second issue, which will come in a couple of weeks now, I guess two weeks, uh, there's, there's a set piece that I'm just really proud of. It's, uh, it's not a giant thing with planes colliding in midair, but there's this, this moment that when you get there, I don't want to spoil it, but when you get there, you'll see it. And, uh, hopefully it's got that same heart in your throat feeling when Tom Cruise is dangling outside the, uh, skyscraper with one suction cup hanging. It's that kind of thing where you want that moment where the reader goes, Oh, and that's that's exactly what I'm going for. Yeah. 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 It, well, and, and of course, comics, you, you, you have the benefit of infinite resources, as it were, because the, it's up to the artist to to be able to draw that in your imagination as to the stories you create. A absolutely. What you don't have. So you've got infinite budget for things like special effects. What you don't have is infinite pages. And so that's yeah. the so you've got you've got 22 pages. And by God, you've got to tell a complete story in 22 pages. And so I'm always forever thinking, I wish I had one more page, just one more. Give me one more. Uh, just think what exciting, sexy thing I could do with one more page. But it's uh, you want to talk about merciless fate. The people who decide how many pages you have in a, com in a comic book, that's merciless. You don't get an extra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, my God. It's, well it's, it's fun. Of course, the other thing, Gun, uh, sorry, Heat Seeker is continuing the tradition that Gun Honey started with the, uh, the fact that infinite, amazing artists working on covers. There's so many different covers. There's yeah. the virgin covers with no text. There's photo covers and there's a million, million oh, great God. artists doing covers here. Yeah. I, I'm so thrilled about it. You know, when I was a kid growing up reading comics and Flash was my book, every issue of Flash I would pick up at the store had one cover. That's it. This notion that you would have multiple covers for a single issue was completely unheard of. It, it didn't exist. And somewhere along the way, somebody did it. And it can go too far. You can have so many covers that collectors just get annoyed at you. But I find it irresistible. So there are artists who have come to us and said, could I do a cover? I don't have the heart to say no, because I look at their work and I think, I want to see how you would draw. Joanna, or I want to see what you would do with Dahlia. And so I'm, I'm a soft touch. I, I almost never will say no if an artist really wants to do it. I mean, unless their style is completely wrong, you know, you could imagine something like that. Um, but when I get to work with guys like uh, Adam Hughes and Art Germ or Sosa Micah, who did a cover for The Last Gun Honey, um, it's just, it's a dream come true. And so it's very hard for me. It's the kid in the candy store thing. It's hard for me to turn that down. And hopefully, uh, you know, you don't have to buy every cover. Hopefully <laughs> fans buy the ones they like best. Uh, and we're, we're discovering different people like different things. So some people will say, I like the, the painted covers. Why are you doing photographs? I'll say, cause some people like photographs, you know? Yeah. 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 So Charles, I have to say, um, as I sit here as we're talking and I, I look at your wall behind you and <laughs> all the books and, I, and you, it's intimidating because I'm just like, <laughs> wow. Like, look at, look, 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 look what the, how well read this guy is. Like that is oh, a, thanks. That's but, you a know, crazy amount of well, stuff. 
Not all. Not oh, all. Well, there, there, there we go. go. There there go. Barry go. Allen, you know, that's there my you. guy. Um, well, now, now Green isn't intimidated. He saw that. There, so there, like, well, I, I did notice the uh, Sherlock Holmes in the. Uh, yep, we've got Sherlock there. Holmes, Stephen yeah. King. I think Isaac Asimov is up there somewhere in a Starship Enterprise. I'm a geek. You know, I, I'm yeah. a geek all the way back. I At age 12, I was playing D&D off the original rules box set. And nice. the idea that I get to create some of the stuff that uh, that that sparked my imagination when I was a kid is very exciting to me. I mean, it, I haven't uh, gotten jaded. I haven't gotten cynical about it. So when I went to Midtown Comics in Times Square, I live in New York. I went in there and I saw Heatseeker in, in, in a row with all the different covers. Uh, my heart really started pounding. And I, I, I wanted to say to everyone, that's mine. I did that. That's my comic. But I, I, you know, I wasn't a jerk about it. But uh, I can't believe sometimes that I grew up to do this because when you're a kid, you, you barely can imagine there are people who do this. It's like, you know, their names from the masthead, but you, you can't imagine meeting them and then getting to actually work with some of them. What a treat. Yeah, no, that, that is definitely a treat. And speaking of treats, this is something you can probably agree with me right now is that we've kind of gotten a small resurgence of crime comics. There's a nice little crime Renaissance happening right now. You got, of course, Brew Baker and yeah, Phillips Ed Brubaker doing their is stuff. The God, you know. And then you got you, then you got Chris Condon with another Phillips, the uh, uh-huh. the next generation of Phillips doing, <laughs> uh, of course, uh, that Texas Blood, and right. now the Enfield Gang Massacre. And then you got your stuff here. It's like we're we're really, it's all top quality crime comics right now, which is great. And I'm hoping that more people come to the table and meet the level that you guys have kind of set. Thank you for you saying that. Set. You, you know, look, I, I think the best, most successful crime comic is still not bringing in numbers like Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Batman, which is completely understandable. You know, that's that's the core stuff that the people who like comics go for first. But I think just like there's a kind of superhero, people you hear people talk about being tired of superhero movies at the multiplayer. I mean, I still like them, but uh, they, they've seen enough. Uh, superhero movies, they want something a little different. I think that's true at the, at the comic book stores too. It's not that they don't want superhero comics, but if you're doing a pull list and you've got eight superhero comics, maybe you want something a little different. It's like, you know, dessert, right? You, you have your, your delicious salty food. And then at the end, you want some ice cream. And it, I think a crime comic or it might be a horror comic or it might be a fantasy comic like Conan, which I, uh, Titans bringing back, uh, just for variety, you know, something, something a little different. And I think the way that uh, Brubaker brought it back is tremendous. And he he was a fan of Hard Case Crime early on, and I was a fan of his stuff. And I I give him a lot of credit. I mean, Darwin Cook, the late Darwin Cook, who was amazing, who did those Parker graphic novels, Parker's, that also yeah. was part of it. Uh, and now you're seeing some of the old school uh, crime comics come back. So the Ms. Tree comics that were done by Max Allen Collins, who became famous for Road to Perdition. But he he wrote the Dick Tracy comic strip in newspapers for years. Uh, and he did this, this book called Ms. Tree. And now you can buy all the old issues of Ms. Tree. They're being collected. I mean, we're doing it. I don't want to make it sound like someone else is doing it. Yeah. But uh, those are great reads. I mean, they're from the 80s. They're, you know, right. old fashioned in some ways. But what what great reads. And so the idea that people can get a, can a, do a deep dive into crime comics, the old stuff, the new stuff, it's exciting. So I, I hope people are willing to give it a shot. No, totally. Yeah. And you, you bring that up. Uh, of course, Max Allen Collins, we've had, we've had him on the show a couple of oh, times. Oh, great. Um, I got to say, Hard Case Crime, I'm a huge fan of it. I've read a ton of stuff from Hard Case Crime. And I also, I love the fact that yeah, you guys reprinted uh, Max Allen Collins' Quarry series as well. And got to, I got to experience those. And he's done new ones for us. He's right now. I don't even know if we've announced this yet. So maybe it's brand new on your program. But uh, he wrote a book that was sort of intended to be the last of the series called Quarry's Blood. And then that got nominated for an Edgar Award. And he had an idea for doing another one. And so he's writing, as we speak, he's writing a new Quarry novel called Quarry's Return, which we're going to publish in our 20th anniversary year, which is next year. So there will be more Quarry for you. I promise. That's that's awesome. Well, I look forward to that. And I look forward to people uh, checking out Heat Seeker. Of course, the first two Gun Honey stories, Gun Honey and Gun Honey Blood for Blood, are available in uh, collector editions now. So definitely track those down. But of course, pick up Heat Seeker number one. It's on shelves now. Heat Seeker number two is coming out in two weeks. So go to your local comic shop, add it to your pull list. Definitely check it out. Charles, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program with me tonight. It's a treat. Anytime you want, I'm, I'm here. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, you and Barry. That's right. Yes. Well, only if Barry comes. That's the only way. Only if Barry comes. Exactly. <laughs> but thank well, you so night, much, guys. Charles. Have a great All night. Right. Thanks, See Charles. Ya.
So that was Charles Ardai, a writer of Heat Seeker, which is available now at your local comic shop. Pick it up if you like spy stories, if you like noir. It's some good shit. Mr. Green, we've come to the end of the program. Yes, we have indeedy. Tell the good folks where they can find us. As always, if you like what we do here, you can find more content over at patreon.com slash geekard. For everybody who participates in that right now, we thank you guys ever so much. You really help uh, keep the show on the air. For those of you who don't right now, that's super cool. We get it. But it'd be super cooler if you joined us. Just do it. Join us. Just do it, man. Come on. Like, What are you waiting for? Exactly. I I talked to your friends. They're all expecting you to do it. That's right. So additional content is also available at YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Yes, even Pinterest. Search Geek Heart Show on any of those platforms. You'll find us there. Of course, check out our website, geekheartshow.com, for more news, reviews, and the podcast version of this very show available on Mondays after 2 p.m. If you didn't listen to us live, it's a great way to hear us. But to ensure you do, the best thing to do is what, Andrew? Is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. Be it the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. Wherever you catch your pods. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review because it helps with the analytics. And the more people that know, the further we go. And as always, if you want to continue the conversation with us, email us, geekhardshow at gmail.com. I want to thank Jimmy Palmiotti and Charles Ardai for coming on the program for Jimmy Palmiotti, for Trigger Girl 6 Justice, check out the Kickstarter. For Paper Films, for Barbie, for Charles Ardai, for Heat Seeker, for Gun Honey, for Hard Case Crime, for Mr. Green, and for Yuri in the Booth, this is Andrew Young saying if you're going to geek out, you might as well geek hard on Reality Radio 101. Thank you for listening to Geek Hard with your host, Andrew Young. And Mr. Green, right here on Reality Radio 101.